Episode 18 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on December 26th, 2016. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, Star Wars The Old Republic celebrated its five-year anniversary. I'll share some memories and take a look back at the months leading up to the game's release and beyond. Also this week, with compromises to Galactic Command in the works, the focus now shifts to group content. I'll talk about operations and why the game needs group content. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 18 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. First up, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. So the character transfer sale is happening right now. Transfers are 90 coins down from a 1,000. If you've been wanting to shuffle some of your characters around, now is the time, and this sale will end on January the 18th. Life Day is going on right now and will end on January the 10th. Also, SWOTOR's five-year anniversary celebration is going on, and you can head to your fleet to be sure and buy all of the gifts available for this year's event. And uh, let's see, this year's gifts include artwork of all the loading screens for every expansion and the game's initial launch. There is a new Party Jawa and a Senya Hollow Statue skill trainer. And you can purchase uh, the Coruscant and Dromenkash Strongholds for five credits each. Now regarding the artwork, you can have, I think, a maximum of 50 of each of the pieces of art. And you can also claim them on a single character. For the Hollow Statue and the Party Jawa, you'll need to grab those on all of your individual characters if you want them on all those characters. So be sure to log in with each of them, head to the fleet, and go ahead and do that. Uh, also for the five-year anniversary, Bioware released the five-year anniversary collage. And I have to say, it's very cool. They actually released the full-size version uh, which enables you to actually zoom in to the point where you can see individual character images used to make the collage. Now, despite telling you about this for several weeks, I was very late in submitting my image to BioWare. Procrastination is my middle name, and on most days, it's my first and last two. I've looked pretty hard, but I don't think I made it in there. And I've seen quite a bit of chatter from, from others who submitted early and often who also didn't make it. I'll Keep looking, but regardless, it's a very nice tribute to five years of Star Wars The Old Republic. Now, one thing I did notice was that they managed to sneak in an image of Captain America, and I'm told that there is an image of a guy with his family. I haven't seen that yet. That said, if Bioware was planning to troll the collage with little Easter eggs like that, they really should have put in an image of Kefis in there. That would have been the way to go, so maybe for the 10-year They'll do that. But yeah, really, really a big miss by not uh, trolling us with a image or two of Kepis. So that's all the announcements I have uh, for this week. Let's slice the holonet and go over the news this week. Well, we know that in game 
Update 5.1, there's going to be five new uprisings, and we got a sneak peek at one of them this this past week, and it's called the Trench Runner. It takes place on Denova. So does this mean the return of Kephas in a walker? Probably, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it does look like a very scaled-down version of the explosive uh, conflict operation. There's a tank boss, and there is a walker boss, and is Kephas inside? Don't know. There's some speculation that he, that he might actually be. Wouldn't be at all surprised if it's him. And if it's not him, then it may very well be the son of Kephas, because, you know, it's Kephas. So there you go. But that's coming in game update 5.1, the Trench Runner Uprising. So on December 20th, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic officially celebrated uh, its five-year anniversary, and I wanted to share some memories of Star Wars The Old Republic, but I wanted to focus on this period of time that I think was most exciting for the game, which was July to December of 2011. Now, if you recall, it was in July that Star Wars The Old Republic was made available for pre-order. There was no release date announced, but it was the first realization that this game was going to happen and that it would be live soon. What I remember most is the hype and the hope that surrounded the game. Ever since World of Warcraft became a pop culture phenomenon, people had been prophesizing its demise at the hands of another MMO, and people were starting to believe that SWOTOR might be the chosen one. At the very least, there were a lot of people rooting for it, and a lot of people were lining up to get in on the action. For every community site and database that WoW had, SWOTOR had three, and the game wasn't even out yet. WoW had WoW Insider, which is now called Blizzard Watch, for news and opinion articles. SWOTOR had Tor Wars, Ask a Jedi, and Force Junkies, which, which by the way, I actually wrote for Force Junkies for a, a brief period of time leading up to and after launch. Uh, WoW had MMO Champion for news and updates. SWOTOR had Darth Hader. WoW had, had WoW, or excuse me, WoW had WoWhead for a database site. SWOTOR had Darth Hader, R2DB, SWOTOR Spy, and, of course, Torhead. And Torhead, by the way, was a late addition. I remember when it was announced and everyone was thinking, you know, A, how many database sites does this game need? And for those of you who aren't Torhead, thanks for playing because this is obviously going to be the go-to database site uh, for, for players. Uh, in terms of, like, personalities, WoW had Ghostcrawler as the face of its game. Swartor had a host of developers representing their game. People like Damien Schubert, Daniel Erickson, Georg Zeller, James Olin, Gabe Amatangelo, and Stephen Reed, just to name a few. They were all out there doing videos, interviews, and just, just celebrating this game. And then, and I think in September of 2011, they started having beta weekends. I was fortunate to get into two of them and you know, people were now getting a chance to try the game early. And I think for the most part, people were, were pretty happy with it. I know I didn't have any real issues with it, but again, I was just, you know, banging as hard as I could for that, you know, 48 hour period and just doing as much as I could in that short period of time just to try and get the sense of the look, the feel and everything about the game. And it was just an overall very good experience. Then on September 24th, Bioware announced that the game would launch on December 20th, 2011. So we got the release date at the end of September. And then as, you know, we moved into October, all eyes shifted briefly to World of Warcraft and BlizzCon 2011. 
Now, everyone knew it was an expansion announcement year for World of Warcraft. And I remember watching the announcement video. And the narrator took us through World of Warcraft's past conquests. Outland and the Burning Crusade, Northrend and the Lich King, Cataclysm and Deathwing. And then the scene shifted to a never-before-seen land. It was peaceful and pastoral. The music was calm and sort of oriental in, in nature. The video then reached its climactic moment when out of the sky fell this giant, fat panda. And I had this Charlton Heston from Planet of the Apes moment where I thought, they blew it up. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. And congratulations, Star Wars The Old Republic. The king is dead. Long live the new king. Because that was sort of the feeling. Like, when you saw pandas, and you said, really, pandas? You just can't help but feeling like World of Warcraft had jumped the shark and the the gaming world was ready for a new MMO king. And the table was set. And on December 13th, they rang the dinner bell and everyone was invited to feast because that's when uh, those who had pre-ordered were granted early access to the game. And feast we did, which was, was part of the problem, right? Because players got to 50 much faster than was expected. The end game wasn't quite ready. And then also the game just sort of lacked some expected features like a group finder, the ability to modify the UI. There was a legacy system, but all it was was a giant XP bar. And even with the early accesses where we sort of had a few glitches, right? Because if you recall, access was granted in waves and it was kind of predicated on how soon, how early in the process did you pre-order the game. And so not everybody got in on minute one of day one. So it was overall, it was a very successful launch, I have to say. It was very, I was highly regarded. It got a lot of accolades and awards and it was a very successful launch, but things did start to go downhill after December. And I remember in March of 2012, they invited a couple of hundred players to Austin, Texas for what was called the Guild Summit. Now, I had the good fortune to attend and cover the event on behalf of Force Junkies. It was an unforgettable event. They really rolled out the red carpet. Uh, we saw the Phantom Menace in 3D. We got a tour of BioWare Studio, which was just utterly amazing. I remember walking in there and just wanting to steal all of the artwork on the walls and thinking, I don't know how you can fit a giant painting inside one's pants, but I am going to find out because this stuff is absolutely gorgeous and I wanted it. Um, there was a wonderful dinner with Bioware where they, we went into the big dinner hall at this hotel and, you know, members from the Bioware staff were seated at the, you know, individual tables. And it was, anyways, there were people from the community team like Jovith Gonzalez, all the way up to the, the the doctors, the people that actually founded the company. I mean, it was all levels of the company there to sit there, dine with us, and, you know, had just have a conversation and provide feedback, talk about the game, what we liked, what we didn't like. And it was just just, just an amazing, amazing event. I mean, you know, and the, the panels they had were good, I mean, although it was mostly a commercial for the upcoming game update, which was 2.1, but there were plenty of chances to just ask questions and provide feedback. 
And I think most people who attended left feeling very optimistic for the game. And I remember thinking it's too bad they couldn't invite the entire game population to attend because I'm pretty sure they all would have walked away there going, all right, I'm in. I'm in for life. Thank you. This is great. So it was a very, it was a very good event. Uh, but then in May of 2012, things started to go south again. And a lot of people actually left Bioware. Most of the people I mentioned in, in the beginning, like the Damien Schuberts and, and, and those folks, they're all gone. The community sites like Darth Hader, Torhead, Ask a Jedi, Force Junkies, they're all gone. In September of that year, Missa Pandaria launched for World of Warcraft, and it was one of the most successful expansions of World of Warcraft. Pandas did anything but kill that game. And, you know, Cataclysm was a very weak expansion. It wasn't well regarded. And they really actually rebounded quite well with Missa Pandaria. And it was the zones and everything about it were, were really quite good. So this wasn't, you know, World of Warcraft wasn't dead by by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not trying to end this look back on a somber note. It's just that things have changed since the beginning and in these five years. And despite people leaving and other setbacks, the game is still here. You've got new developers working on it, new fan sites and podcasts and streamers. And it's, you know, quite frankly, it's a very, it's still somewhat vibrant and healthy and active and engaging community. And if anything, the game has now moved out from under the shadow of World of Warcraft and it's become its own thing. And as the game looks to the future, it really just brings me to the next topic, which is group content and the lack thereof. As part of the five-year anniversary, some of the folks from SWOTOR have been doing the rounds and granting interviews to various sites. One interview that's caught the eye of some of the community members is one that Ben Irving did for MMORPG.com. By the way, if you want to read a good analysis of this, check out what Zamzam had to say on her site, ZamzamSays.com. And I wanted to call attention to one of the quotes that she highlighted in response to group content, and this is what Ben had to say. We've talked pretty openly, and I'm not going to do the Australian accent, by the way, so I'm just going to read the quote. We've talked pretty openly on streams that by the end of January, we want to do a stream and say, hey guys, this is kind of what we're thinking for February and March, and give more information on what that group content is. But I think it could be some part of any of those things you mentioned. And those things, by the way, were flashpoints in uh, operations, I believe. I think we just got to really understand what people are doing. Sometimes there's a difference between what people say they want and what they actually do in game. And I think that's the tricky part for us. We're listening to our players giving us feedback, but also correlating it to the data of what people are actually doing in the game to make sure we're real, we're building the right type of things. Okay. Let's stop right there and back this up a few thousand feet high in the air. Before they dive into creating content, I think everybody needs to get on the same page regarding what the real issue is here because it's only by understanding the problem that a real solution can be found. And that solution might be an operation or perhaps it could be something entirely new to the game. But here's what I think the problem is. Players want to get together and do things with their friends. They want an excuse to log on two to three nights a week, maybe more, and do something that's fresh, engaging, challenging, but not impossible, and rewarding. 
And they need to be able to do this for a period of time such that when it gets old and stale and no longer fun, the next thing is ready to be rolled out. In my mind, this is the fundamental issue. This is the problem that needs to be solved. Players want to get together in-game, in voice chat, and spend two to three hours having a good time. I can't say this enough, but the number one factor that goes into whether or not someone likes your game isn't the content. It's the people they play with. I mean, I know Eternity Vault is old, but if you have a group that's excited to go in there and run it every week, and if the atmosphere is light, jovial, fun, you're going to have a much better experience than the group that's doing the same thing, only begrudgingly because they want to level their galactic command. And that's a big ask, by the way, to go in there and do Eternity Vault in an atmosphere that's light, jovial, and fun. But the point is, the people you play with impact your enjoyment of the game more than any piece of content the developers can make. One of my fondest memories from the game is not killing Kephis for the first time, although that was very satisfying. No, it was a silly contest that my guild held. We went to Drummond Cost to one of these high bridges, and at the bottom of the bridge was a rock. And the person who could jump off the bridge and land closest to the rock won the prize. So yes, a night of jumping off a bridge and going splat is something that I probably will never forget. So why are operations a potential solution to this problem? Well, first, ops are all that we know. I mean, we haven't seen anything else that can really do this. And they're great because they take time, they're challenging. But here's the thing about operations. I mean, one of the things that makes them fun is figuring out how to defeat the various bosses, developing your strategy, executing your strategy, understanding what you as an individual need to do, understanding what the group as a whole needs to do. And the thing about ops is this, they get old. And so realistically, they probably have a shelf life of four to six months. And then once you have it on farm, it doesn't take long for them to get boring. So when Ben hints that they don't see people running many ops, it's because they're old. A big part of what makes them fun is figuring out how to defeat the different bosses. That no longer exists with the ops that are in the game right now. I know how to beat Soa in EV, and Kephis in EC, and Karaga in KP. The strategies haven't changed. It's just a matter of getting the new gear so that, you know, I as a player have the power to defeat everything. And this is kind of why new ops are important, because they offer bosses and mechanics or combinations thereof that we haven't faced before. They provide, you know, this element where the group needs to come together and figure out how to beat the new challenge. And that's why, you know, if you aren't seeing a lot of people running the existing ops, at least outside of maybe a group finder, it's because they're old and they don't offer really that that same amount of challenge uh, that a new operation would. And making sure the content is challenging is important, and I suppose that can be a challenge in its own right, but if the content is too easy, players get bored. If it's too hard, then players get frustrated. Of course, that's the beauty of having multiple difficulty levels, but you know it needs to be designed so that it's in this sweet spot where it doesn't take too long to get through, and by the same token, you're not plowing through it on day one, week one, or or even month one, I suppose. Uh, The final piece in this puzzle is that it has to be rewarding. Now, traditionally, the rewards were gear, and the gear served a couple of purposes. One, it's very satisfying to get gear. It's fun getting gear. And two, it gives you the means to push through bosses that are giving you trouble. 
trouble. So, I mean, the gear is necessary sometimes to complete the op. The point being, playing something for the fun of it just isn't enough, and it needs to offer rewards for everyone, and that also can serve as a mechanism to help people keep coming back week after week, even when you've got it on farm and you got those one or two people who still need those one or two pieces. And so you just want to make sure that everyone in the group gets what they need. So just to recap, the fundamental issue here is the game needs to provide a steady stream of group content that's fresh, engaging, challenging, and rewarding. Something with a shelf life of four to six months. And it's something that a group can spend two to three hours on a given night doing. So are ops the answer? They have been in the past, and that's pretty much all we've known. I'd certainly be open to seeing what else Bioware could come up with that would solve the problem. I'm not wedded to ops. And if there is something else that they could do and something else that they could create faster than an operation, I'm certainly willing to give it a look. But, you know, saying that, you know, well, we're not sure if ops are the right answer because people don't look like they're running the current ops. I think, you know, that's that's a mistake. I think it's just a mistake to take that approach and, and sort of draw that conclusion about operations and people desire for operations. Although I will say this, I think the, 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 the answer is we need some sort of group content. And, and there you go. And I know we'll get something, so we'll look forward to that in January. Well, heck, I'm sort of plowing through my, my, uh, topics for today. I don't have too much else to talk about. Although, you know what? I'm going to talk about uprisings real quick and some of the things I've been doing in game. And I've talked about uprisings before, but this is my own personal update. So first, I'm still slogging away through Galactic Command. You know, I can get a few levels every day, but it's slow. It's slow. I think I'm getting close to level 30 now and I, I just can't help but feeling like I'm behind the curve. I've also taken the time to level up some additional characters. So I think I have about five level 70 characters and we'll be working on some more this week. But I've been trying to do more uprisings for my Galactic Command. And at this point, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with story mode operations because they're just a royal pain in the ass right now. And especially if you get like a group that's made up of four DPS. It's just, it's, it's, I don't even know if it's 50 50 that the group will be competent enough or geared enough to actually complete, complete. It's probably feels like it's less than that. So I've actually been running veteran mode uprisings and just started that this past weekend. I'd almost forgotten that this mode exists and it's just so much better. I haven't really had any issues with it. I mean, my gear is slowly getting better, but, but here's the thing about it. You go in there, you've got a tank. You get a healer and two DPS, and I just think that even though it's a little bit harder, the chances of success are much, much higher right now. I'm having better luck with veteran mode uprisings than I am with story mode because I don't think the story modes are appropriately tuned for people in any role, especially if you lack a tank or especially if you lack a healer, and people that are in this mix of level 65 and early level 70 gear. I just I just think it's too difficult for four random people to go in there and reliably knock those out. So I think I'm kind of done with story mode for the time being, and I'm just going to continue to run veteran mode. Uh, you know, it's a, it, they, they seem to be smoother runs. They're, they're, they're not any longer and you get more galactic command, uh, XP out of the whole thing. So 
if you haven't done any veteran mode uprisings and you kind of been banging your head a little bit against the story mode, I go ahead and just queue up for a veteran mode. What's the worst thing that can happen is your your group fails and you, you disband and you yeah, that's probably the worst thing that can happen. So so that's it. So I finally gave the veteran modes a try. They're pretty good and I'm just going to continue to run those for my galactic command as well as do some some other things. So that's it. That's it for this week. So let's uh, cue up the music, and that means only one thing. You've managed to survive another half hour, give or take, listening to episode 18 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SoToOurPodcast.com. There is an RSS feed where you can scribe, subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet your questions to at sotorpodcast and be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the podcast and just see some of the things I'm up to in-game. You can look for episode 19 on January 3rd, 2017, which means, yes, this is the last show of 2016, so I will definitely see you all in the new year, 2017. Big year, hopefully some good things for Star Wars The Old Republic. 40th anniversary of Star Wars, A New Hope, and of course, Episode 8 releasing a little little under a year from now. So that's it. So that's it for this week. So remember the Sith Code, cake is a lot.